I had several takes and they were all overdone, overacted, overfelt. This time I was looking more at her, interested to see that she didn't make any mistakes. It was a beautiful sensation of not acting, of standing outside myself. The key was exactly right, slightly embarrassed, delighted about meeting her again, apologetic without getting emotional about it. He was watching and wondering what she was thinking and wondering without any effort. It was one of the purest inserts, I call them inserts, close-ups, that I've ever done. One of the purest. That was Charlie Chaplin in a 1967 interview talking about the end of City Lights. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Listen. Well, hello there. My name is Jeff Kelly, and welcome to the 36th episode of Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. On this episode, I'm going to talk about the 1931 classic silent film, City Lights, from Charles Chaplin. Now, quickly, this episode was supposed to drop last week, and I apologize. Life, you know. Work, uh, a side project, family stuff, and all that goes with it, you know. Anyway, on with the show. First, let me begin by talking about the Charlie Chaplin-Buster Keaton debate. Are you a Charlie Chaplin fan or a Buster Keaton fan? Don't be crazy, they're both wonderful. You can like both, let's move on. Now in later interviews, Chaplin always called City Lights his favorite of his films. And before I talk about City Lights, I thought I'd talk about Charlie Chaplin's amazing career. While I enjoyed the 1992 Richard Attenborough film starring Robert Downey Jr., they focused more on his relationships and not how he not only created his films, but rose from making those silly little wacky comedies to masterpieces like City Lights and The Gold Rush. In 1908, he got a job working for Fred Karnos's prestigious comedy company through his older brother, Sidney, who was already a star. Soon Chaplin was a star himself. In 1910, he, along with Stan Laurel, were selected to be part of a touring show in the United States, Charlie, who had a very depressing childhood, was happy to get away from England. After 21 months, he returned to England and found himself immediately depressed. He was thrilled when they returned to America in October 1912. Now, while on his second American tour, he was offered to join Max Sennett's New York Motion Picture Company. While he happily did so, he never quite liked the Keystone Cops type of comedy. As he later put it, they were a crude melange of rough and rumble. But he liked the idea of working in films, and he rationalized it later by saying, besides, it would mean a whole new life. By his 11th picture with Senate, he began to direct. Now remember, these were one real comedies that were shot in a day or two. In 1914, Chaplin made 36 films, but he wasn't happy with any of them. While his later films, the ones he made under complete control, he carefully preserved, he disowned the Max Sennett ones. Chaplin liked logic in his stories, not the chaos of his early films. 
Early on, Charlie Chaplin saw the potential of film storytelling and wanted to do more than the fast-paced silliness of Max Sennett. In 1950, he signed a deal with the SNA Film Manufacturing Company to make 15 films in one year. That was the real start of Chaplin as an artist. He had complete control over his work. But 15 films in one year with the way Chaplin worked was way too much for him to take the time to create the kinds of films he had in mind. You see, he had an odd way of creating. He never used a script. He created as he went, rehearsing and writing while the cameras were rolling. This might have been because he couldn't be behind the camera and in front of it at the same time. He would often start with a simple idea or a setting. The film The Floor Walker, he had a large department store set built without any idea of just how he would use it. Then he would just start improvising in front of the camera and see where that took him. He was a perfectionist who would keep shooting take after take until he had a funny situation that he felt worked on different levels. He was relieved when the 15 films were done and after that slowed down his pace. Next, he joined the Mutual Film Corporation, which formed Lone Star Studios solely for Chaplin's films. Over the next two years, he made 12 films, in which he was the writer, producer, director, and star. And he began to really shine. He created such classics as The Floor Walker, The Rink, Easy Street, The Cure, and The Immigrant. The Immigrant, in which Chaplin kicks an immigration officer in the butt was, by the way, the start of America's attack on Chaplin for being anti-American. It would ultimately cause him to be kicked out of the United States. In 1918, he had his own production company, whose films were distributed by First National Pictures. Now he was able to make longer films. His first, A Dog's Life, was 33 minutes long. By now, along with all that he was doing, he began to compose his own music for his films. He was finally able to take time and create the artistic movies he wanted. He only made three films in 1918, two in 1919, and didn't make one film in 1920. This was most likely because he was creating his first feature film, The Kid. He was also dealing with the divorce of his first wife, Mildred Harris. Because of Mildred Harris's lawyers threatening to take away his unfinished film, he was forced to edit the film in a hotel room in Utah. This was wonderfully shown in the film Chaplin to great comic effect. The kid starring Chaplin and Jackie Coogan is a brilliant combination of comic and dramatic elements and is widely considered one of the greatest films of the silent era. You remember Jackie Coogan, right? He would later go on to be Uncle Fester in the Adams Family's 1960 TV show. In September of 1923, he began to work on another masterpiece, The Gold Rush. I could have easily made this episode about that film. The making of The Gold Rush is almost as interesting as the film itself. He attempted to take the entire crew to the hills of Truckee, California during the winter and film on location. This provided impractical as Chaplin's filming style took so long and conditions changed so rapidly that there was no way to cut it together. He eventually had to refilm it all in the studio, and by then, lead actress Lita Gray, who was his 16-year-old girlfriend and later his wife, was pregnant, so he replaced her with Georgia Hale, who he would have an affair with by the end of filming. 
It took a long time to make, but it turned out to be a pretty wonderful film. By the time he got to City Lights in 1931, talkies were on the rise, and many people thought Chaplin was out of touch. Still doing a silent film with his old-fashioned directing style? Not only did Chaplin believe that Tramp could never talk, but he also thought talkies were a fad and wouldn't last. He later said of the coming of sound, They spoiled the oldest art in the world, the art of pantomime. They are ruining the great beauty of silence. They are defeating the meaning of the screen. He had just gone through a difficult time. He and Linda Gray had been divorced, and she left with her two sons, Sidney and Charles Jr., and his mother, Hannah, had just passed away. Now, while Charlie surrounded himself with other male comedian actors, he liked to have untrained female actresses in his film. In this case, however, it became a problem. Virginia Sherrill was cast. Virginia was born on a rural farm in Carthage, Illinois, and raised in Kenosha, Wisconsin. She was a 20-year-old Chicago socialite who had been recently divorced. According to Chaplin, she approached him on a beach, asking him to cast her in his film. She said in an interview in the wonderful three-part PBS series Unknown Chaplin that she explained right away that she had no previous acting experience. I've also read that the two met at a boxing match. She had very poor eyesight, and Chaplin thought that would give her an advantage playing a blind girl. She said she had agreed to be in the film on a whim. Soon, Chaplin found that directing her was a challenge. Now, this is a simple story of a blind girl who mistakes the tramp for a rich man. The problem Chaplin had was how to convey that in a silent film. This caused Chaplin great difficulties. He shot the scene over and over again, trying different ideas without success. Sometimes he would just film the same action over and over again, hoping that some idea would come. And for a long time, no idea ever did. And this went on for months. Someday Charlie Chaplin wouldn't even show up and the cast and crew would just sit around waiting. He took over a month off, but the cast had to come in and sit around just in case he decided to begin filming. Of the first 83 days, 62 were idle. When he was filming, he was getting more and more frustrated with Virginia Sherrill, claiming she didn't even know how to lift up a flower. On top of this, he had the pressure of spending way too much money for a silent film in the world of talkies. And Chaplin was a perfectionist who would concern himself with every detail. He would act out each part for the actors, letting them know exactly the way he wanted them to act. He also dealt with the background actors, acted himself, and directed, all the while creating a story in his head as he went. After 334 days of filming, he only shot 166 days. That meant 368 days were idle. Eventually, he had most of the film shot except for the flower stand scene, the scene in which the blind girl is supposed to mistake him for a rich man, in which the blind girl is supposed to mistake the tramp for a rich man. Then one morning, he woke up with an idea, a slamming car door. The idea was he purchases a flower, and while waiting for his change, behind him, a rich man gets into a car and closes the door. She says, wait for your change, sir. But the car drives away, and the blind girl assumes it was the tramp. 
The tramp, understanding what had just happened, tiptoes away, letting her think that he was the rich man. But the tension between Cheryl and Chaplin continued to build, and it all came to a head on the day they filmed the beautiful ending scene. Just before filming, she asked if she could get off a little early because she wanted to get her hair done for a party that night. Chaplin went crazy. And then later, after she was late coming back from lunch, you don't keep Charlie Chaplin waiting, he fired her. He brought in Georgia Hale like he had done with the gold rush, and they filmed the ending scene with her. And he had the idea to refilm the whole movie with Hale, but soon realized it just wasn't practical. He had already shot so much film and spent so much money working on the film for so long, he just couldn't do it. He needed Virginia back. So he called her and she told him some shocking news. She informed him that she had signed the contract when she was underage and therefore the contract wasn't valid. He hung up the phone in anger. Virginia knew she was now in the driver's seat. Eventually they met and Chaplin offered her double what she had been getting. This was one of the few times that Chaplin and his leading lady didn't have a romantic relationship. In fact, outside filming, he and Virginia had no relationship whatsoever. She said in an interview that she had no idea why Charlie didn't like her. I don't think Charlie really liked me very much. I, I don't know why. I liked him. I was very impressed with him. But we had almost no social contact of any kind. I was never invited to his house because he didn't entertain very much. But when he did entertain, I was never invited. Um, I had my own life. I think perhaps I had been married and divorced and perhaps I was more sophisticated than he saw me, perhaps he saw me as the blind girl and not as me, and for this reason didn't like me. Maybe at age 20, she was too old for Charlie. Who really knows? And in the end, after two years and eight months, Chaplin shot over 314,000 feet of film, and the completed film ran a little over 8,000 feet. That meant there was a shooting ratio of approximately 38.8 feet of film shot for each foot that made it into the final film. And by the time it was finished, it had been three years since his last film, and silent movies had come and gone. Yet 25,000 people showed up at the premiere and almost caused a riot. The film was a massive success, and it's my favorite Chaplin feature. It took in over $4 million, which was huge in 1931. Many still call it one of the greatest films of all time. In 1949, the film critic James Eggie called the final scene the greatest single piece of acting ever committed to celluloid. I couldn't agree more, James. Now, at the end of Chaplin's life, he still marveled at the magic of that scene. I've had that once or twice, he said. In City Lights, just the last scene. I'm not acting almost apologetic, standing outside myself and looking. It's a beautiful scene, beautiful, and because it isn't overacted. 
City Lights is still regarded as a great film even today, and it always appears on the top of the best films of all time lists. It's a simple story, actually. The tramp meets a blind girl selling flowers. She mistakes him for a rich man. Eventually, he makes a great sacrifice and commits a crime in order to get her the money she needs for an operation to get her sight back. He gets caught and goes to prison knowing she will never know the truth about her benefactor. And in the end, in one of the most beautiful scenes ever created, they meet and the once blind girl who can now see realizes just who he is. And of course, within that, there are some great and funny Chaplin Tramp moments. Now, I've made it clear that I love this film, but let's see what other people think. And for that, of course, I turn to Rotten Tomatoes. The film gets a 97% critic score and a 96% audience score. So I think most people agree with me. Rich S. gave it 5 out of 5 stars, and he wrote, If you want a movie you can take apart piece by piece, this is the one. Every scene has meaning and invokes a wide range of emotions. City Lights is a couple of the funniest scenes ever shown on the motion picture screen, and, in the end, it gives us one of the movie's most heart-touching moments. I agree, Rich. Well said. Christopher E. also gave it 5 out of 5 stars, and he wrote... Pathos-filled comedy with hilarious set pieces, moving drama, and the genius of Chaplin. Again, not much to add to Christopher. In fact, I was really surprised by how many great reviews I found. I expected a lot more negative ones, because, you know, this is a black-and-white silent film from the 30s. I thought many would think it was outdated and just wouldn't get it. But then again, I'm thinking that anyone who watches the film probably already has a love for silent films and appreciates Chaplin. But anyway, there were some negative reviews, but not horribly negative. Like James O., who gave it three out of five stars and wrote, Slow and boring in places, but there are the usual Chaplin highlights like the boxing fight and the love interest. Not one of my faves, but it has its moments. I respect your opinion, James, but slow and boring in places? I I must say, I thought this film moves along pretty good. The worst I found was William M., who gave it two and a half stars and wrote, Why did I rate such a famous movie so low? Because it may have been entertaining in the 30s, but it is no longer so. The only reason to watch this is to acquaint yourself with Charlie Chaplin. Hmm. I don't agree. Maybe for you, Mr. William M., but not for many of us. And you know, there's even some critics who didn't appreciate this movie. Like Jorge Luis Borges, who wrote, In reality, in what I believe is reality, this much-seen film from the splendid creator and hero of The Gold Rush is nothing more than a weak collection of minor mishaps imposed on a sentimental story. Hey, Jorge, I don't know what film you were watching, but I don't think it's the same one that I watched. (laughs) That might be why I don't talk a lot about critic reviews on this show. Anyway, if you've never seen this film before and you don't plan on watching it, just go out and check out the boxing scene. I'm sure it's on YouTube. It's one of Chaplin's finest comedic moments. There is one scene that's pretty funny but was cut from the film that you can find. It's just the tramp who simply spies a piece of wood stuck in a grating below his feet and he idly tries to free it. 
a crowd gathers to watch him do so. It's a very simple scene, but you can understand why it was cut from the film. It's really not necessary. Now, City Lights wasn't a totally silent film. It did have a synchronized soundtrack. There was the musical score that Chaplin wrote himself and a few sound effects. At the beginning, we hear strange distorted sounds in place of people who are giving a speech. which may have been Chaplin commenting on sound films, I'm not sure. And later there's a chirping sound of a whistle that he swallowed that can be heard. After City Lights, Chaplin gave in and began shooting a sound film, but then changed his mind during rehearsal. And like City Lights, Modern Times was silent with only sound effects added. It wasn't until The Great Dictator a film that comments on Adolf Hitler in 1940 that he finally gave in to sound. The Crawling Hand. Someone please come in. Push the red. God, Steve, help me. Help me. Claude, what does it mean I'm stacked? Stacked? You'll experience a new dimension in motion picture thrills when you see The Crawling Hand. The Crawling Hand demands to live, commands you to see it. It strikes deadly, silently. It will not relent. The Crawling Hand must destroy in order to exist. It will strike you deadly. The Crawling Hand. A little bit before I go. A lot of the information, but not all of it, was from the wonderful 1983 Thames Television three-part special, Unknown Chaplain. I think during my story I said it was from PBS. Well, I first saw it on PBS, but they didn't make it. It was from England's Thames Television. Anyway, I really suggest watching it if you want to understand how Chaplin created his work. I believe the whole thing's on archive.org. However, part two is the one that features the gold rush and city lights. And you have to be careful because there's two versions. One is cut down to a half hour for some reason, and the shows are close to an hour long. So make sure the one you're watching is close to an hour and you'll get the full picture. Anyway, next week I'm going to talk about the 1963 film, The Crawling Hand. I'm going to discuss the film itself, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version, and even a little about its female star, Siri Steffens, a former Miss Iceland who attempted an acting career in Hollywood. I hope you'll join me. Again, I apologize for missing last week. I hope it didn't cause too much emotional distress for those of you who need to hear my soothing voice. <laughs> right. Anyway, listen up. I have a Facebook page, and I would love to read your comments. It's called Celluloid Days. Please join us. I also have a Twitter account. It's at Celluloid underscore days. 
and we're up to 32 followers. So, you know, we're not quite up to Kim Kardashian numbers, but we're getting there. I'm always looking for film suggestions. The more strange and unusual, the better. You can email me at daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid, all being one word. Come on, email me for any reason, even if it's just to say hi. And if you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you download this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. Thank you for listening. Take care. I'll be back next Monday. Bye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Multi-pest. Uh, multi-pest. You know it's multi Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing.